This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m., or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m., or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Hello, my name is Betty, and I've been coming to Faith Living Church for around three years now. A friend of mine invited me. I lived most of my life doing the wrong things, not having a God, and I was too busy living my own life. When I came to Faith Living Church, I learned so much. The first thing I learned was that the Lord was sent down to die on the cross and shed his blood so that my sins could be forgiven. I choke up every day when I say that because no one else can do that for me. It was a big weight off my shoulders. I've learned so much from coming. I had to give up taking charge of my life and that was hard. But I can say at this point, I believe in the Lord's will for me. I have peace inside me that I never had for my whole life. And I have been in situations this year uh, that are pretty hard. And I still trust that the Lord's going to take care of me. No more worry. I'm happy for the first time in my life. It took a while, but it's never too late. By coming and reading the Bible, I learned how to pray and my life was improving constantly. I also joined a life group. That changed my life. Uh, The people there I love and we all love the Lord and to be with those people it's, it's just fantastic. A few weeks ago I was baptized and that brought me to a different level. I feel the spirit in my heart and I went from reading the Bible when I can to getting up every morning and reading it for at least an hour, and sometimes I don't want to stop. It's changed my life so much, and I have a lot to be grateful for. I'm so happy, and I never imagined being this way. I've never been happy before and I owe all that to the Lord. Well my name is Dan Lapila and I am filling in for Pastor Ron this weekend. He is on a much needed vacation away, uh, him and Pastor Susan and um, Sue Bradley filled in last week and did an amazing job uh, teaching on the path of trust and so um, I'm here today, or tonight, to share with you guys a little bit more on, on a, uh, a, another aspect of our walk with God and the path of, uh, of, of where we're walking with him. So, uh, first off, I want to thank Betty for doing that testimony. That was an awesome testimony, for sure. And just um, uh, being that I'm in, I'm in the life group with Betty, uh, it's just a real privilege to see how much God has done in her life. And, uh, and how he's taken her and, and grown her in so many areas. So really excited about that. All right, well, tonight, let's see. We're going to start. Um, it's kind of neat just having all of this right here. So, <laughs> uh, we're going to start off with um, talking about an area that 
a lot of times seems pretty elusive, um, kind of difficult to find, and even harder to keep. So why don't we throw up, can we put up that first slide? I think we have a, what are those symbols of? Peace. So those are mostly a worldly symbols of peace. So we see, uh, you know, kind of the peace sign or, you know, throwing up the, the, the peace sign like that. You do see an olive leaf and, the, and the, the dove with an olive branch, which has a biblical meaning to it. And the other one's actually a, uh, the sign for the United Nations, which has as a part uh, of their mission to, uh, to help promote world peace. But have you ever thought of this next one as being the sign of peace? Because really, peace comes from God. The world cannot give us peace. And if we try to find it in the things of this world, whether it be um, uh, material things or even in, in just human relationships with each other, areas that we try to find that fulfillment, that peace in our lives... It may be there temporarily, but it will not last. And we will constantly be looking for ways to continue to build up or to to find that peace in our life. And what I propose to you is that that will never happen. That it will only come from God. And as you see, just as the cross is, it needs to be a vertical peace and a horizontal so in other words, we do need to have that peace come from God specifically. And then we, as we have that peace with God, that he gives us that peace internally. And then from there, we're able to bring about that peace to others through other, uh, to other people. Really kind of goes along with our, uh, our mission statement here at Faith Living. So our mission statement basically that we are looking to uh, build relationships, transform irrelevance, and really it's to have that relationship with loving God and loving people. And that's what God wants to do with us, is he wants to give us peace in our lives, and from there to have peace in our relationships with others. But we can't have that if that doesn't start with our peace with the Lord. So uh, first verse that I want to look at today, and, and I'm going to pause for a moment and just apologize if my voice seems a little raspy. I sound all right? Thank you. Uh, it's interesting how when you decide that you want to do some things for the Lord, that something, something sometimes comes against you, you know? And it uh, tends to be that there's, uh, there's an enemy that tries to take you down or at least tries to keep you from doing the things of God. So if you don't mind, I'm going to be sipping on some of my tea here, and I do have some trusty cough drops. I'm going to try not to cough as I'm, uh, as I'm doing this tonight. Does that work for you guys? Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Okay, so first verse we want to look at tonight is in Philippians 4 and verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Is that up there? Oh, there we go. Nice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So God wants us to experience his peace. However, a lot of times, I think we often will find more relatable terms as being um, frustration or anxiety 
or um, worry, agitation, depression, or, or even disagreements and discord. Does anyone else face those on a fairly regular basis going in in your lives? That happens, right? Well, God wants to overcome that with his peace. He actually wants us to live out the peace that he has for us. Uh, just uh, looking at, uh, at being that this is such a widespread area of, of a lack of peace in our lives, um, and that uh, even in, in, in a certain section of, of looking at, let's say, anxiety and depression, there are some statistics on that that said that over 40 million Americans, 18 years old and over, are affected by anxiety disorders every year. And 25% of children between ages 13 and 18 are affected by anxiety disorders every year. That's sad. That's awful. Because again, God doesn't want us to, and that's only talking about anxiety. We're not even talking about frustration or, 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 or discord and uh, uh, the, the disagreements or fighting or even hatred that happens. This is just talking about one aspect of a lack of peace in areas of life. And God doesn't want that. He wants to actually flood us with his peace. But to start and to experience that peace that it says exceeds all understanding, to experience that, it needs to start with that vertical, that vertical uh, um, relationship that we have with God. So let me back up a bit for a moment. When we say peace, what, what are we talking about? What, is, what does that mean when we say peace? What, are, what exactly is that? Well, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the, uh, the word for peace, and you probably have heard this before, is shalom. And it's, uh, it's, it, it is sort of an all-encompassing when it talks about peace. So it, as it's talking about peace, it's talking about harmony and tranquility. It's talking about uh, safety and the welfare, uh, your health, prosperity, kind of a wholeness or a completeness, and a focus on security and on safety, uh, feelings of satisfaction, and well-being and contentment. So um, I don't know, you guys may have had uh, similar memories to me as this, but uh, when I think of like, um, like contentment or safety, I remember back to times when I was uh, a little boy and my father, when holding his hand, I could be out in like, like the Big E or I could be in some crazy area, but if I was holding his hand, it was a feeling of peace, of contentment, of security and safety, I was okay as long as daddy had my hand. And that's what God wants is not only that, but more so. Not only does he want us to feel that contentment that, that we have his hand, but that he is in our heart, that he is flooding our lives and that he has our heart. So it is very important that we understand the concept of peace and the peace that God gives us. It's very central to how he wants us to live our lives, not only in our relationship with him, but again, in our relationship with others as well. So that peace is actually uh, uh, oftentimes, even today, a greeting that is, uh, that is said uh, among Jewish folks where they'll say, uh, Shalom Aleichem, or peace unto you. So it's basically a, a greeting. It's, it's a, a blessing that they give. And the New Testament word Etienne is actually refers back to that same word, giving that wholeness, that completeness of peace, that sense of health, of prosperity, of tranquility, and of harmony. 
uh, was speaking with a, a pastor friend of mine about this, and he had a great definition uh, with, about peace. He said that it was the prosperity of having a harmonious relationship with God. So think about that for a moment. So we, we've heard the word prosperity. We've heard it used in, in good context as well as abused in the wrong context. But the prosperity of having a harmonious relationship with God. In other words, being able to have that relationship that's right. You think about being in harmony, and, and I'm not a music guy, but being in harmony is basically you're both, you're on the same page, you're, you're, you're singing the same song, that you're in the right step with God, that you are in right standing together with him. And in that, you yourself are prospering because you are in right with your creator, with the one who made you. Um, I like Betty's testimony, how she was talking about that as she grew and as she uh, grows in her knowledge of God and in, in her walk with him, that she's just excited and, and growing more and more and her reading her Bible and like hungering after uh, more of God and even finding herself reading for an hour or more just because, because she wants to hear from him, because she's, because she's in love with the Lord. And that's awesome. That's what God wants for us. And, and my question to you is, are you finding that love for God? Are you finding that you are more and more in love with him? So that peace that he has for us, as I mentioned, it's vertical peace initially, and that only comes to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So as we're talking about the peace coming to us from God, really the fundamental of that that vertical relationship needs to be that you actually have a relationship with God. So again, if you're looking to find peace in any other way, whether it be in relationships with people, whether it be in your, uh, your finances or your things that you're accumulating or whatever else it may be, if that's your source of contentment, then it will always be unfulfilling. It will always be uh, uh, falling short. And instead, God has more for us than that. So it needs to start off with that vertical relationship. So with that vertical relationship, for that to be, or for us to be in a right relationship with God, we need to have a reconciliation with God. And what does that mean? Well, reconciliation is basically to be in right standing, to be where there is nothing in between him and us. So we have to understand, first off, who we are outside of God. And that there's really nothing good that lives in us. So as it says in Romans uh, 3.23, it talks about how, how we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So basically, we've all sinned. God has his standard of perfection. And because we have sinned, we fall short of that. And we can't be in the presence of God because nothing imperfect can be uh, in God's presence. And because we have sinned, it says the wages of our sin or the payment for our sin in Romans 6.23 is death. And it's not just physical death, but it's an eternal death or an eternal separation from God. Uh, Looking at Romans 3 and verses 10 through 21, to understand the condition of our heart outside of God, who we are if we try to make it on our own. And this is really an example of why we don't have peace in and of ourselves. It says that no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul. 
like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They do not know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for, it is, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So the law is good. Paul describes it as acting like a mirror. It shows us how sinful we are and that we are fallen in and of ourselves. So we don't even know how to find peace in and of ourselves when we are separated from God in that state. And even if we try to do good, it doesn't do any good because it says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, that we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. And if you know the definition of that word filthy rags, I'm not going to get into it up here because it is, it's filthy. It's, it's extremely filthy. Um, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sin sweeps us away like the wind. Pretty timely that we see autumn leaves all over the place now. Um, my son and I were just having a football catch earlier this afternoon, and uh, uh, leaves that were just on the trees now blowing all over the place, all over the yard, covering the yard, and reminds us that we have to get to doing our raking soon. So, <laughs> uh, But that gives us a reminder of how fleeting it is, our lives, like the autumn leaves. Think about it. Just a few months ago, they were nice and green and lush on the trees. Now, like that, they're gone, blown away off, blown off into a pile, shriveled up and crushed. And he's telling us that, like the autumn leaves, we wither and fall or swept away like the wind. We don't have as much time as we think we do. And that's where God also says that today is a day of salvation because we think, well, we have plenty of time. We can wait. You never know. We don't, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Now, the problem is not necessarily that we sin. Sin is something that we do, but the problem is that we are sinners. We are sinners. That's why we sin. That's why, even by us trying to do something good, it's like filthy rags, because we're sinners, separated from God. So that even our good works are filthy. They don't do us any good. So if that's the state that you're in right now, separated from God, then of course you're not going to have peace. It's, it's not, you don't even know how to find it. It's not available for you. So that's the bad news. That if you're separated from God, you're an enemy of God, dead in your sins, as we all were, bearing the punishment for the sins upon ourselves. That's the bad news. But that's what makes the good news all that much greater. But God. And those great words. Because think about that. What we could not do for ourselves, but God. But God so loved us. But God loved us enough so that the good news is what we could not do for ourselves, 
Jesus Christ did for us. So just like what Betty had talked about in her testimony, how Jesus, to even think about that, and, and, and the best way to do this is if you think about, think about your own life. Think about times where you were living in sin in some way, shape, or form, and how you were an enemy of God, and how God still loved you in that condition. And even still, Jesus Christ said, I'm taking your place. I'm dying for your sin, for you, because I love you that much. And that cross that we showed, that was a real cross that represented a real cross where Jesus Christ, God's son, God in the flesh, came and died a brutal death. And it wasn't only just the physical pain that he endured, but he endured the wrath of the Father in our place, your place and mine, so that we could be made right with him. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Because you see, Like we said, when Jesus took all of that sin of ours, of yours and mine, of the world's on the cross and paid for them in our place, it didn't end there. Just like we sang about, with with him dying in our place, he paid the price and it was finished. But then he conquered death and he resurrected. Do you know that that is one of the most verifiable events in human history? What I, say, what I mean by that is there is a tremendous amount of evidence to prove that Jesus Christ not only existed, not only died a physical death on the, on the cross, but that he had actually physically rose again and conquered death. It is a, it is a verifiable fact in many ways. So Colossians 1, verses 20 to 22 says, And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything, to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So, what God did for us is not only did he take our sin on the cross, but it says that he made peace for us. So, while it is before we were separated from God and we were enemies of God and that we had no chance or right to peace at all. God did that for us through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So that blood paid for you to have access to his peace. Think about that. The blood of Jesus Christ paid for you to have access to his peace. Goes on to say that this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated by him. Your evil thoughts and actions Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome that he does that for us so that we are right with him. Colossians 2, 13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave 
all of our sins. What percentage is all? 100%. 100%. So is there any sin that he, that, that he didn't pay for? There's some like, well, he paid for most of it, but yeah, he didn't pay for that one right there. Does that happen? No. No, he paid for it all. He paid for it all. And it says that he forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charges of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Let me ask you something. Are there any written charges that you feel are condemning you? Think about that for yourself. Are there things that you feel are hanging over your head? A charge that keeps being thrown in your face against you that is condemning you or that, that keeps bringing you, bringing, coming back up over and over. God's word says that he took those charges and he nailed it to the cross. So in Christ Jesus, I don't have the verse up here, but it says in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, he made him who had no sin become sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God. That's amazing. That is truly amazing love. So through that death that Jesus paid on the cross in our place, he had paid the price for our sin, taking the Father's wrath upon himself as the payment of our sin so that we can be reconciled and have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. That is literally the first and most basic need for peace we have, is that vertical peace between God and us. If you don't have that peace, there is no chance of you accessing a lasting peace, whether in, inside you, in your heart, or in, in relationships otherwise. That peace with God is first and foremost. Why? Because that's the source of peace. Because that's who you and I were created for, is that relationship. Once we have that, then we're able to experience that peace inside our hearts. Remember, Jesus himself is referred to in Isaiah 9, 6 as the Prince of Peace. And when the angels announced his birth in Luke 2, verse 14, I know it's not Christmas time yet, but that's okay, we can still talk about that. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So that peace literally had come through Jesus Christ. That peace with God is through Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know if that, if that picture is up there. There's a bumper sticker I'm sure that many of you have seen. No Jesus, no peace. There we go. Or, no Jesus, no peace. <laughs> kind of a cool little bumper sticker, and it's entirely true. Without having Jesus Christ, we have no peace. We have no true or lasting peace. It will always elude us. It will always fall short. But when we are in a true, actual relationship with God, when we truly know him as the Lord of our lives and, and have that relationship with him, to, to really know him experientially, we will know that peace that only comes from him that he gives us. So there may be times where the situations do not seem very peaceful. Who's had that happen in their lives? 
like this week. <laughs> My voice is just getting over that. So <laughs> we've had those situations where the situations are not peaceful. But you know what? That's okay. God doesn't actually promise that the situations are going to be peaceful. He says that he will give us a peace that goes beyond understanding. Let's take a look at an example. In Mark chapter 4, in verse 35, we're starting 35, where it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in a boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. That's pretty peaceful in the middle of a storm, and he's knocked out cold just sleeping. I was going to bring an example of a cushion, just sort of lie down and kind of <laughs> demonstrate that, but that probably, I'd probably fall asleep myself. So he, said, he was lying on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher! Don't you care that we're going to drown? That would be us, wouldn't it? A lot of times. We have the waves crashing in. We have just chaos everywhere. And Jesus is literally right there in the boat with us. And we're still afraid we're going to drown. Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and the waves and said, Silence! Be still! Suddenly the wave stopped and there was a great calm. We have, have a picture of what the storm may have looked like. Here we go. Just to give you a visual. I like visuals. That's just an, a, probably like a quick little like, snapshot of, w- of what it was like. It was probably just super crazy waves where the wind was blowing. The disciples were, they were really scared. They were scared to death to find out what was going to happen. And just like that, Jesus calmed the waves and he calmed the seas and the wind. Let's see what the next one looks like. Just like that. Immediately, there was complete calm. And he said to them, then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let me tell you something. Jesus has authority over more than just the wind and the waves. Amen. He has authority over every situation in our lives. So let me ask you this. What are you experiencing for stormy conditions in your life? Um, Tensions at work or your business, at school or at home, with your family or your spouse? What conflict or tensions or discord might be rocking your boat? Might those crazy winds be blowing and throwing you off course, or waves of worry and confusion. The more that we walk in harmony with God, and the more we experience his peace, regardless of the situation, the more we're able to stay in a right standing. Having peace is not the absence of trouble, 
but it's the presence of God in the midst of it. Let me say that again. Having peace is not the absence of trouble. So even when those disciples were in the boat with Jesus, when the waves and the wind and all that craziness was happening, they had peace right there with them. They didn't know it. Having peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Being right with God, which enables you to have that uh, that wholeness and completeness that we were talking about, that harmony, that safety, that contentment, that steadfast uh, tranquility in the midst of the trouble. There's a story of a man who once visited an elderly woman who was badly crippled with arthritis. When he asked her, do you suffer much? And she responded, yes. And she held out her hand. She said, but there's no nail here. And she pointed to her hand. He had the nails. I have the peace. Then she pointed to her head. Yes, but there are no thorns here. He had the thorns. I have the peace. And she touched her side. And there's no spear here. He took that spear. I have the peace. You see, that's what Jesus did for us, is he gave himself so that we can have the peace that the Father has for us. So this woman suffered with arthritis, but she had the peace of being right with God because Jesus had taken all of her sin for her and had given her that peace in the midst of it. That peace is available even in other circumstances, even circumstances where we face the prospect of dying. There's a, a, a story in, um, in a 1555. It's going back a few years. Dr. Nicholas Ridley was sentenced to be burned at the stake in England because of his witness for Christ. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort for him. Nicholas Ridley declined the offer, saying, I intend, God willing, to go to bed to sleep as quietly tonight as I ever did. Because he knew the peace of God, that he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of the Lord to meet his need. Now, most of us will never face a trial quite that bad, hopefully not, and quite that severe. Yet we still, all of us, go through difficult times and face times of trial and testing. During those times, we do have the opportunity to fix our minds and our hearts on the peace of God. Colossians 3 and verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. There's a saying that says, Peace rules the day when Christ rules the mind. Let's say that again. Peace rules the day. When Christ rules the mind. There's another story of a man named Hermann Lang who faced execution in Hamburg, Germany for the stand that he took for Christ and against the Nazis. And he wrote from prison, from his prison cell on July 11th in 1943, Personally, I am perfectly calm, facing steadfastly what is to come. When one has really achieved complete surrender to the will of God, there is a Marvelous feeling of peace and sense of absolute security. The gift we receive is so unimaginably great that all human joys 
pale beside it. He was executed by the guillotine just days later. He had that peace and that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, even facing death. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. To have your mind stayed on God is to have your mind fixed on him, where your mind heavily relies on him. So that word stayed is, to be, uh, is really to be kind of, to, to be fixated or, or completely relied on, is what that word is talking about. To stay in agreement with God and in constant communication or leaning on him. So the more that you're in a close relationship with God, the more you will experience that peace that he has for you. The message puts it this way, that same verse in Isaiah 26. It says, people with their minds set on you, you keep completely whole. Steady on their feet because they keep at it and don't quit. It's a pretty neat way to put it. It's not just life or death situations, but everyday situations that God wants us to experience his peace. So um, a few days ago, as I was discussing this message with my wife, Mari, she was telling me about uh, a little bit of her own testimony of experiencing God's peace. And um, I'd call her up here to kind of give the testimony herself, but she's not really... Uh, <laughs> she doesn't think she's a good public speaker. I do, but you know how some people think that public speaking is worth it, worse than death? <laughs> That's kind of how she is. So I will be happy to, to display or to discuss the, the testimony for you. Um, <laughs> so she was talking about uh, our kids are homeschooled, and we're part of several different homeschool groups. And um, one of the homeschool groups, uh, she had been called to be a leader of the group. Um, she knew it was coming. And again, she's, uh, she's not very upfront as far as kind of the one who likes to do a lot of talking or anything or, and, and, and lead, although I think she does a great job with it. But uh, she likes to be a little bit more behind the scenes. And, uh, uh, but it was definitely something that God was doing. She knew that God was taking her out of her comfort zone. Uh, so without getting into things too much, there was just some issues that needed to be dealt with, and uh, which if she were to deal with it in her own strength, she would have been just really you know, at wit's end and stressed out and like all over the place and not knowing what to do and kind of freaking out with that. But instead, she had decided to really just give it to the Lord and to trust him and really just put it in God's hands. And it was neat as I was telling her about what, what, uh, what the message was going to be. She was telling me how she was truly experiencing God's peace in this situation and that uh, as God was bringing about these resolutions in, in ways that that she could not have done on her own, but that as she left it in God's hands, that God really had given her that sense of peace and calm in that. And that's what he wants to do for us in every situation. He doesn't want us to worry. He actually tells us or commands us not to worry. And he's pretty serious about that. John 14, 27 says, this is Jesus talking. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So again, the world offers us a uh, really a, a pale example of peace or a pale substitute for peace. 
and it's really nowhere near what God can give. So when Jesus said that he gives peace, not as the world gives, it is something that is a lasting peace, not only between us and the Father and being in that right relationship, but it's a peace that we have indwelling in us and that can be poured out to others around us. And only Jesus can give us that peace, that, uh, that, that tranquility and that wholeness, that completeness, uh, that well-being. Billy Graham once said, peace is not arbitrary. It must be based on definite facts. And God has all the facts on his side. The world does not. Therefore, God, and not the world, can give peace. John 16, 33, and Jesus said, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. So he's very upfront with us. We're going to face trials. We're going to face hardships. We're going to face sorrows. He never says that we're not going to face those things. But he says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. Because Jesus Christ has overcome, we can have that peace in him. Does that make sense? Now, when, um, when studying this, one thing I found is in the New Testament, there are many times that you see peace go along with grace, or grace and peace mentioned many times, uh, usually in the greetings of different letters that Paul wrote, but also Peter and John. Uh, it's actually about 17 times you see uh, grace and peace. Uh, in Romans 1:7, you see, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you are a believer and giving your life to Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Because he's talking about to all who are in Rome, who are called to be saints, follower of Jesus Christ, that includes you. He says, grace and peace to you. He says it again, uh, like I said, about 17 times. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.3, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says it over and over. So I said to myself, okay, there's got to be some connection here, right? 17 times, it says over and over, what is the connection between grace and peace? And why is that such a, uh, uh, such a powerful greeting when he says it over and over and over again? And in Peter, when Peter says it, in 2 Peter 1-2, he, he gives a little bit more depth to it. He said, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, a working definition that we have for grace, uh, you can use the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace, or um, also there's God's unmerited favor. Uh, Pastor Joe gave me this additional uh, definition. He said, it's, grace is God's divine influence on our hearts to make us like him. Let me read that to you again. Grace is God's divine influence on our hearts to make us like him. Another pastor friend of mine had told me this definition of grace is God's willingness to use his ability on our behalf to bring about in us what we could not do for ourselves. I'll say that one again. God's willingness to use his ability on our behalf to bring about in us what we could not do ourselves. So that's a really powerful way to think about God working in and through our lives and how hand-in-hand 
that goes with his peace for us, that wholeness, that contentment, that prosperity and tranquility that he has for us, that he wants for us. It's really his divine power that's influencing our lives to do what we cannot do for ourselves and making us like him. Because that's God's goal. When I talk about the prosperity, okay, it's, it's great to have things and stuff, but that's not what God's talking about. That may or may not be true, but what will be true is he wants us to prosper in our relationship with him so that we can grow to be more like Jesus. We can grow to be more like him. We can grow to have that perfect peace that goes beyond understanding. Again, that's what he has for us. And to maintain that peace, we need to stay in tune with God to continually maintain that close relationship and that right relationship and to be in harmony with him. Uh, Jill Briscoe, who is a popular Christian author and speaker, once, uh, once said a story of hers. She said, I remember talking to a girl in this church two or three years ago. And the girl said to her, Jill, I've lost my, pe- I lost my joy and I've lost my peace. And I want it back. Where did you lose it? I asked. That has nothing to do with it, she replied. Help me to get it back. But where did you lose it? I don't want to talk about that. But eventually she did talk about it. She lost it when she moved in with her boyfriend. That'll do it, Jill says. So if you're allowing sin to get in the way of your relationship with God it will block that peace. Putting anything, putting something or anything above God, you will lack the peace that he has for you. Here we saw that this girl was putting uh, her relationship with her boyfriend, sexual immorality, above her relationship with God. And it resulted in her losing her peace and her joy, and she knew it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So again, having that peace means making sure, maintaining that peace, making sure that you are in a constant right relationship with God. Whatever it is that's looking to get in the way with your relationship with the Lord, get rid of it. It says flee those things. Get away from those things because it's going to block what God has for you and the perfect plan that he has for you. So now that we've talked about that, let brings us to the horizontal piece. So we talked about having that vertical relationship with the Lord and having that peace that he gives us and having that right relationship with God, allowing us to have that inner peace that goes beyond understanding. Now let's talk about that peace with others around us and extending that peace. There's a... uh, So I, I brought something here. Now... Pastor Ron has the corner on the brown bags, right? So we're pretty, we're pretty confident in that. So because this is Connecticut, I don't have a plastic bag. I have a, uh, a reusable bag. So let me bring out what I have. Okay. Oh, here it is. Good. Now, as I mentioned briefly earlier, I myself am not a musician. Um, I was uh, once in a once in a gospel choir, did singing in a gospel choir, which was really cool. Uh, even did a solo, one time, just once. 
but, um, but I don't play any instruments. Um, but this here is a tuning fork. I don't know if you can see it. This here, it's a tuning fork. And what the tuning fork is for is that it's to make your instruments, keep your instruments in tune. So you take your instrument and you basically tune it, I believe, usually to the note A. No, could be. To, uh, to the tuning fork. And once your instrument is in tune, then you tune the other instruments to that instrument. So that's what God wants to do with us. He wants, to have, he wants us to have that peace with him. And then to have that peace, once we're tuned in to the Lord and that peace, wants to extend that to others around us so that they're also in tune. And one of the great ways that we can do that is by sharing the gospel. Because in all honesty, we can be in a really right relationship with other people, but if they don't know who Jesus is, if they don't have that right relationship with God, it's not going to last beyond this life. If it even lasts that long for them to have that peace. But to have an eternal peace and to be right with him, that's really what God wants. So the tuning fork, something that uh, to symbolize how we are to keep in tune with the Lord and with each other. Since we're talking about maintaining close relationships with God, we need to make sure that we're working on that peace, extending to those around us. So as I said, once we're in tune with the Lord, then extending it to others around us. Psalm 34 verse 14 says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter 3, 10 says, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, not the TV show happy days, but see many happy full days. Some of you guys got that. Some of you are just way too young to get that. Uh, and want to see happy, many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watches over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So we need to do right by those around us. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to not speak lies or gossip, which is part of speaking evil, by the way. And did you know that even if something is true, that it can still be gossip too? It doesn't have to be untrue. That's not building someone up. That's tearing them down. And God does not look kindly on that. And if we're expecting to have his peace from God, but we're gossiping, I can assure you God will deal with that, and that will not happen in full the way that you want it to, to have that peace. But we need to be promoting peace. Proverbs 6 16, excuse me, 16, verse 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. We need to make sure that we're promoting peace and doing right by others around us, even with how we speak of them. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends upon you. So now there are going to be times that you will do everything you can to live at peace with someone. You will do everything you can to resolve a conflict with someone. 
but they're just not having it. He says, as much as it depends on you, as long as you have done everything you can, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men or with all people. Hebrews 14, uh, 12, 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Again, very important to make sure that we're in a right relationship with the Lord. Now, sometimes living in peace calls us to take a stand. And uh, if you think about it, if you look in, in Ephesians chapter 6, we read about the armor of God. Well, there's one aspect of the armor that has to do with peace, which almost seems like it's a uh, contradiction, that armor for war and the armor, is, uh, armor has to do with peace. And it's uh, with the shoes that they wear. In, in Ephesians six fifteen, it says, and with your feet fitted that comes with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, the Roman soldiers would wear shoes that were not normal sandals. Basically, what they would wear are more like what we would see today in athletes uh, that, uh, you know, like football players or soccer players or rugby players. More like these, like cleats. So you see how these have spikes on the bottoms where the Roman soldiers would wear like uh, uh, sandals that had these big spikes or even nails to allow them to grip onto the ground when they were, when they were uh, fighting and that they were able to take their stand. So these are... Uh, these aren't my cleats, but <laughs> these are. Uh, but that's to give us an example of of the the, the grip. If you've ever played uh, football, when I was in high school, I played football. Uh, when you have cleats, you need to make sure that your cleats are are fresh and are cleaned off, so that you can really grip the ground when you're trying to. Uh, when I played football, it was uh, when I was trying to either block someone or make a tackle. I had to make sure that my cleats really gripped into the ground. So we used to have these cleats that kind of unscrewed, and you could replace them every game so that they were fresh. Well, the Roman soldiers had that where they would have these spikes out of their, uh, out of their sandals to make sure that they were able to stand their ground, even on rough terrain. Uh, there was one commentary that even talked about how part of the reason they were so the Romans were so effective in conquering was because of how quickly they could climb uh, rough terrain to be able to conquer because they had the footwear to be able to grip in there. So what God wants us to do is he wants us to wear the shoes that grip well into the gospel of peace. So in other words, that the peace that God has for us, that you don't lose that, that you stand firm in that peace because there are going to be times, and I'm sure many of you, if not all of us, have already faced times where there will be an enemy that will throw things at you. There will be circumstances that will come at you that will try to take down your peace. And how firmly you stand on, uh, in, gripped into that peace so that you are standing on that gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that gives us peace, will show how well you're able to fight that battle. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This isn't describing those who actually live in peace, but he's really talking about those who work to bring about peace and overcoming evil with good. 
and to do good regardless, working at that peace. Jesus even said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, to those who are harming you. That's not natural, if you think about that. That's supernatural, to pray for those who hurt you or persecute you. One way, again, that we can accomplish this is really to be a light, shining that peace and giving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God has entrusted each one of us, not just Pastor Ron or someone with a pastor in their title, but each one of us with the ministry of reconciliation. So we talked about reconciliation at the beginning, that reconciling or being made right with God. We have that message to share with others. If you know Jesus Christ, you have that message to share with others, to be made right with God so that they can have that peace. That's what makes you a peacemaker because you're making peace between others and the Lord. And the term that he uses, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, so that they shall be called sons of God. The term he uses here is, is to refer to not as a, a young child or toddler, but it's actually referring to a mature son or daughter. So it's an indication of someone who's actually mature in their walk with the Lord and being able to properly um, identify as, as someone who is a child or a son or a daughter of the God of peace. So tonight I want to ask you, how about you? Are you seen as a son or a daughter by God on how you make peace? And do you pursue peace with others? Or do you cause strife and conflict? And are you yourself, are you yourself experiencing that peace that only God gives? Or is there something getting in the way? So if you're with us tonight and you haven't, experience that peace that comes from having that right relationship with Jesus Christ. We're going to say a simple prayer, and I welcome you to pray along with me. And if you're here tonight and you have already known Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but there's areas that maybe you haven't surrendered to him, or areas that you haven't allowed him to work in your life, that you're not experiencing those peace. That, that peace that God has for us, then I welcome you to also pray along and uh, recommit your life to Christ and, and receive that peace that he has for us in those areas. So let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of peace. We agree that we are sinners. And without you, we are lost. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take on all of our sin and shame and pay for them on the cross. We receive your sacrifice in our place. We surrender to you, Lord, to you as our Savior and as our Lord. Thank you for what you've done on my behalf. We pray this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So one last verse I want to 
dismiss you with as a benediction is in Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything, everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. You are dismissed. Thank you.